Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights, here with the dynamic duo of Bill and Ricky, Huggins and Scott Auctions. We actually said Huggins and Scott, but it's Huggins and Huggins today. Bill is more my contemporary, but I've watched Ricky grow up in the industry. I know he's an asset to his dad in many ways. First, thanks sponsors, Tops Panini and Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions. Oh, maybe I should say Huggins and Scott Auctions first, and then Heritage Auctions. Not in order of preference, but just for today. And then Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, ComC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So uh, welcome, Ricky and Bill Huggins. Huggins and Scott Auctions, my favorite auction of its kind in the history of the hobby <laughs> that I enjoy regularly bidding. And I even enjoy losing occasionally, Bill. So I take no hard feelings when I go to sleep and wake up, sometimes winning, sometimes losing. Well, any auction house, Jim, would, would say that underbidders make the world go round for us. Have made you money by losing? Yes, absolutely. Actually, I have thought about that. And at least somebody's going to be happy uh, the next morning. And my wife in the morning when I wake up, she says, did you win? I said, I don't know. I'm going to check my phone. I do not leave my phone by the bed. That is very unromantic and not uh, recommended. But welcome, Bill and Ricky. Tell us about your father-son dynamic in the hobby. In the past pandemic time, I've gotten dozens, if not hundreds of calls from people who were bidders in our auction for years and years, but had never consigned with us. They told me I've been cooped up for a year now, and I've spent time going through my collection, and I have a whole bunch of stuff I don't want anymore, and I'd like to consign it to you guys because I did a lot in your auctions, and they've all told me, I'll probably spend every dime of it and then some on stuff I really want. In your same auction, maybe. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. We do a consigner wash. If you consign stuff and bid stuff, we only trade checks one way. Do you have a preference that they would send you the stuff uh, already organized? Or do some of them keep it there and and then drop ship it from there? The the only stuff that gets drop shipped is warehouse collections and stuff like that. But I, I do have some consigners. Jim, who <laughs> I would hire them to work for me to lot stuff. They are perfect. They know our audience. They know how to lot it. Some people make a feeble attempt and we modify it a little bit, but no, most of the stuff comes in unlotted and we have to do it. The way y'all do it. It's more buyer friendly than seller friendly, but it's still seller friendly for the people that want you to help them transact the stuff. Yeah, turn their stuff into money. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you've got to put some good stuff in with the bad. Uh, yes, we try and put icing and candles on our cakes. You know? yeah, well, it's, I have a philosophy. If you put 999 great items in a lot, but then the thousandth item is a 10,000-page is a book, <laughs> then nobody wants to bid on it. It's the bad apple theory. A bad apple spoils the barrel, and I want to no. buy the barrel. When people send us big collections, I'm usually the one who goes to them and I, we pull out what do we call the beater. It has negative worth. It, it, it's addition by subtraction by not including them. Actually, that one lot I got from you guys pre-COVID that Chris ships it down to the truck depot and it's palletized. I got down there and now the people know me because I've been there a few times. <laughs> yeah, you're the guy with the Mercedes sedan that fills it up these uh, monster boxes of cards. My secret was the one time you had publications in there, and that really chilled the bidding. 90% of the publications were terrible, but 10% were good. So I actually had a little sorting party on the dock. I'm not going to have the truck bring a pallet to my residential home. My (laughs) wife thinks I'm getting rid of cards, and I am. Again, it's subtraction by addition, but I love the way you guys do it. It's fun to bid. It's not fun to go to sleep and wake up a loser. 
Like I said, I'm not a loser, but I lost. Yeah. They'll sharpshoot me in the 29th minute. Yeah. There's two theories of the 30-minute rule. One is as soon as you get out bid, you bid right back. The other is you wait 29 minutes and see if the other guy went to sleep. At midnight, I go to sleep. Now, I was just thinking, how about reducing the 30-minute rule to 25 minutes and then 20 and then 15 and then 10 and then 5? It's just after three or four rounds of that, 30 minutes at a time. <clears throat> if it was 15 even, that would be. Yeah. Gosh, I remember when I proposed that whole theory to Bill oh, Master. It's brilliant. They all, they all said, it'll never fly. That's brilliant. The 30-minute rule. Because I just hated sitting up. Yeah. You know, on the last day, you'd call in, and am I still high on this? Yes, you're still high. And then you call in, you, nobody had been on your item since Wednesday, and the thing ends this Saturday or something, but you didn't win it. Now, if, if, if nobody bids, go to bed. You won. One of your great contributions to the hobby. There we go. I stopped working full-time about a year and a half ago. But we worked together for about 10 years. But do you come in just at the peak times and help? Or what do you do now? Yeah, like right after the auction ends, I'll come in. I'll be at the National for a good bit of it this year helping out. And if I have people that I worked with while I was there that'll contact me and I knew them pretty well, I'll just handle that communication and correspondence and setting up consignments or things like that. I started off basically trying to see the entire operation. I my dad has a retail store, House of Cards, that's in Silver Spring, Maryland. And I ran that store for three or four years right out of college. I just naturally started taking on more and more responsibility. Then day-to-day operations at the auction and did that full-time for seven years. And everything from putting together consignments and gathering consignments to closing an auction and bidding and doing catalog layout design. At the end of it, I was seeing pretty much every facet of, of the business. It was good. We worked pretty well together as father and son. We don't really have a type of relationship where we argue and don't get along. The Scott of Huggins and Scott is John Scott, and he has a commercial insurance agency. I started working for John Scott full-time January of 2020. And the office is 10 minutes away from the auction house. Days they would need me on stop by after work, still help at peak times when the auction's closing and a, a bunch of people need to be doing a bunch of different things all at once. I'll stop by and I'll be there for a few hours to help close it out, make sure everything's going smoothly. Then the national coming up at the end of July, I'll be there while the guys are still at the main office helping out with the convention. I've rarely heard a person that has had two jobs that are more compatible than what you just described, Ricky. How good could it get? Yeah. John Scott of Huggins and Scott, you're able to go to the national, you're able to help your dad for this amazing auction house. And you're 10 minutes away with, with your dad's partner's commercial insurance company, which yeah. I bet would fit you pretty well. Yeah, it's been good so far. I've enjoyed the change of pace and the different environment, but it's good to keep some connection to what I was doing as opposed to a complete break off. That's not what I wanted to do. Did COVID affect the insurance business to where that was in turmoil? Initially, a, a lot of businesses were putting in claims for business interruption and things being closed. And that was hectic because a lot of the carriers have exclusions for communicable diseases. So people weren't getting cl- paid on claims for that and being shut down due to a virus. Explaining that to people was troublesome. But ever since that, we've gotten pretty much back to normal without much disruption. My guess would be a business interruption person who's just been told that the coverage they thought they had didn't cover them would be even angrier than an auction customer who (laughs) 
didn't get his or her stuff on time or, or something was amiss. It was comparable, actually. <laughs> really? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I, I think because with people that don't get something that either was improperly described or they bought something and then part of it didn't show up, their anticipation and their expectation level is so high because they're excited that they won and that level of excitement is all the way there until they receive the item. And if it's not as described or missing entirely, and then it just goes from a hundred down to zero, as far as the level of expectation, that drop is so dramatic that well, I think it leaves. Did it come from you or from your dad in terms of the, the catalogs that I read them pretty carefully. It seems like you under-described a lot. You don't lay it on too thick. You don't over-describe it because you can't, because you've got a couple thousand lots you can't I don't want to see him again. Yeah, I know, but you're under describing it. We, we, our our bidders know that. Under promising. Yeah. So, are you saying they're angry because the lot is not better than you said it was, or what? No, I think the the, the large majority, Jim, of the people who bid on, so, so to speak, the ungraded cards and the yes. unauthenticated cards in our auction. James, who does most of the write up for the cards, he tries to be just a hairline undergrading, and that way. If it's a, a X card and we call it VGX, we're not going to see it again. And I've had hundreds of people come to our store and look through hundreds of lots to then bid on because these treasure chests or shoebox lots, we can't describe every single card. But if you come to our office, which a lot of people do, you can look at every single card in the lot. And they have a significant advantage over those people who just read the description online. James tries to give an overall condition grade of the lot but some of these lots are a couple thousand cards you know what age was ricky that you allowed him autonomy to do buys and sells without your approval how old was he when you said hey ricky you got this i'm going to be gone just make your best decision then i want to see if ricky thought you were slow on that or fast (laughs) well i mean a tough thing to to learn is how to buy cards, how to sort cards, how to do some other facets of our industry and our specific auction company, whether it be some accounting work, some photographing work, some shipping work. That's stuff that is generic to other businesses as well. However, buying baseball cards and sports memorabilia from somebody, that's very unique. And even writing it up in our auction, Ricky's done some write-ups at times for us. We've had professional sports writers for big time newspapers, big sports fans who could not write up sports cards. They just didn't know the lingo, how to talk to a collector in verbiage. But I would say it took Ricky probably two or three years or so to get comfortable to where he would spend, you know, a thousand or two thousand dollars. I don't think he was going to spend 10 or 20 thousand dollars without probably giving me a phone call. Bill, what have you learned from Ricky, watching Ricky in the business? I learned a lot. His way of dealing with people is calmer than I am. Ricky came into this business with the last name of Huggins, who had been here 25 years, and I knew just about everybody in the whole hobby. I really respect Ricky, and a lot of people have told me that Ricky never said to them, I'm Bill's son, so you have to respect me. (laughs) He, He earned that respect. I heard that from hundreds of people who said that they loved working with Ricky. Some of them even said more than working with you. Ricky, what have you learned from your dad? Your dad's got a successful business on more than one level. Sometimes it's hard to work in family, but I like what you're doing now. You may be the best of both worlds now, but what were the highlights from your full-time working with your dad and what you picked up and learned? Several things. He instilled that you got to just remove fear of making a mistake from that decision. 
trust your knowledge when you buy something, because if you're afraid to make a decision, you're not going to do anything. And he never burns bridges. Even if he tells somebody to go away on a specific deal or a specific item, he's not going to burn a bridge. If that person comes back around, he'll entertain what they got that time. A lot of times that was difficult for me to do. I would just want nothing to do with somebody that I didn't get along with or something like that. But he always gave somebody second, third, fourth fish tries. <laughs> if somebody came in and wanted to sell you something or make a deal, who's the tough guy here? Yeah, we would alternate. It would depend who would start the conversation. And Ricky's a better good cop than bad cop. But it would always depend on the situation. We had a way of communicating that even if it was in front of somebody. So we would alternate. But there was something John Scott told me when I bought the business from him 42 years ago. He told me, if somebody comes to your business with a trunk full of cards, don't help them carry it in. Because if they carry it in, guess what? <laughs> they're, they're all in. They're not going to want to carry it out. <laughs> Those are collections that Jim Beckett likes. I've told people that's my version of a break. Instead of picking through a monster box of dollar cards, I can just buy the monster box. And then I can pick any cards I want out. At that point, I have a lot less than a dollar in them. And the only question is, now what do I do with them? And I got to find uh, something you put it in a smaller box. <laughs> or, Bill... I may be winding up sending it back to you at some point. Oh, Jim, you have no idea how much that happens. People will buy a bunch of lots from us and keep what they want and send me back the rest and say, Bill, just sell it. I, I got what I wanted and anything I, I get is gravy. I've thought about bidding on a lot and instead of paying for shipping, fly up there after the auction's over, go take these couple of monster boxes to a hotel room, go through it real quickly in 24 hours leave you for the next auction what I don't want and take the 200 cards that I want. That happens all the time with us. We've That's had people do that where they, they see what's in the thing. They say, send me this and this. You can either keep the rest of it or sell it for me. Depending on what they've left us, we do A or B. <laughs> what they've left you sometimes sells for just as much as what they pay. It's happened. I've got to remember that. Yeah. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Ricky. Thanks, listeners. Be back again tomorrow with another episode. Thanks, Jim. Be safe. The man that